Chapter Two of the Ghost Girl by Henry Kitchell Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two The First Covert. When I walked into my office about half past nine the next morning, I was greeted by my clerk with the information that Geoffrey had been trying to get me and wanted me to call him up as soon as I came in while we were talking the phone rang and madeline called to say that geoffrey had been trying to get me at the house so without stopping to take off my overcoat or hat i called up his studio i heard him unhook the receiver before the bell had stopped ringing and knew he must have been waiting by the instrument for my call the quality of his voice shocked me it was harassed uneven keyed up clear to the breaking point with unnatural excitement i'm awful sorry to trouble you old man he said it's a shame to break up your work right at the beginning of the day but i guess you'll have to come to the rescue what's the matter i asked do you mind coming i can't leave here for an hour or two and i simply can't talk over the phone i'll be in the subway in three minutes said i hold hard till i get there with that i hung up told my clerk i probably shouldn't be back that morning and started uptown i'd have been wise i suppose to put a brief in my pocket to read on the way up something to keep me from speculating and worrying about geoffrey's case until i had some data to go on but i doubt if anything could have kept my mind off him geoffrey wasn't one of my oldest friends not one of that little group of people all of us carry along in diminishing numbers through life from boyhood people whose circumstances and relations we know almost instinctively people whose world we were born a part of friends of this class we are apt to think we know all about and as far as externals go we do really we are likely to know very little indeed about their interior qualities their soul machinery and we live along side by side with them for years in a state of partial or sometimes total misunderstanding the friendship between geoffrey and me was the other sort we were both grown-up men when we first laid eyes on each other and the thing that made our friendship was a sort of instinctive sympathy a mutual ability to understand each other that had carried us across all the preliminaries of mere acquaintance in one jump the result of this was that so far as externals went we knew relatively little about each other it had never seemed worth while to stop to tell when there were so many more important and interesting things to talk about geoffrey i was sure couldn't have furnished a would-be biographer with any connected account of my experience previous to our meeting three or four years ago and i was in the same case with him i knew he was a brilliantly successful portrait painter i knew in a fragmentary way that as a very young man he had supported himself as a newspaper artist i knew he had a perfectly enormous list of casual acquaintances people from every walk of life way down to the very lowest stratum of the underworld I have described him heretofore as a man of pure genius, a man who relied, further than anyone else I have ever known, on a queer set of intuitions that seemed to begin 
where ordinary logical processes of thought left off he claimed you may remember a special extra sense for crime said he could detect crime on a man's soul as easily as i could detect whiskey on his breath it was a perfectly unbelievable claim of course and i should have treated it as fanciful except for the uncanny demonstration of it which he had given in our own mystery the mystery of dr marshall and the whispering man Geoffrey had solved that and had done it so far as any of us could see by the exercise of this same sheer intuition which he claimed either by that or by the blindest luck in the world and in doing so he had saved gwendolen's life in a word i knew the man himself as intimately perhaps as i knew anyone in the world except madeline but about his history i knew nothing i couldn't even have sworn that he had no brothers or sisters though i had never heard of any a perfect stranger might have come up to me and told me any sort of weird or tragic adventures as having belonged to geoffrey's past somewhere and i couldn't have contradicted him i did know this though he was the sort of person adventures happen to imaginative possessed occasionally by powerful impulses full of that strange quality we call for lack of a better word temperament given the right combination of circumstances and the right incentive and geoffrey might have done almost anything so i will have to confess that as i rode uptown on my way to his studio knowing only that he was in some sudden unexpected difficulty my thoughts ran riot i conjectured a whole chamber of horrors about him terrible hands reaching out of that blank past of his and snatching at him i'd have said when i knocked at his studio door that nothing i could find on the other side of it would surprise me but what i did find did surprise me and to that was nothing nothing out of the ordinary i mean there was no veiled lady in black looming tragically in a dark corner no mysterious communication no spot oh i had been ready for anything of blood on the studio floor simply everything as i had always seen it and geoffrey himself quite his old self smiling apologetically and holding out his hand to me i telephoned you not to come he said but you had already started i was too late i'm dreadfully sorry there's nothing the matter nothing that an hour or two won't set right and i really don't need you a bit only if you've got the leisure i'd be awfully glad to have you stay well but what was it i gasped what did you think it was geoffrey didn't answer for a second or two you remember that portrait i was telling you about last night he asked the thing i painted from a photograph for for miss meredith i nodded but geoffrey wasn't looking at me so after a moment of silence i said yes he brought himself up with a little start well when i came to the studio this morning i found it gone i thought at first that miss meredith might have taken it with her the day she came to the studio to look at it i haven't been back in the place since then you know of course that would have been an awfully funny thing for her to do but she's eccentric they say 
so i asked my jap boy about it he said no that didn't happen they went away and left it just as it was on the easel so it was perfectly plain that the thing had been stolen it seemed such a queer inexplicable thing for anyone to steal that i was a little bit upset about it so i called on you for first aid as i am afraid i have got the bad habit of doing but afterward i got a clue that suggested a perfectly plain explanation i think i'll have the thing back before noon it's all right you see i'm frightfully ashamed of myself for having troubled you with it still he wasn't looking at me and i stared at his inexpressive back in perfectly blank amazement amazement that had i'll admit a little flavour of indignation in it he had given me a very bad quarter of an hour and his explanation of it seemed absolutely childish was the loss of a portrait a thing that couldn't mean more than two weeks work to his facile brush an adequate explanation for that broken cry of distress i had heard over the telephone the thing was preposterous then i remembered his manner at the house last night the little shiver with which he had spoken of dead faces and how they were getting on his nerves the impatient jerk of his head that had accompanied jack's jocular remark about a spirit portrait and last of all the thing he had said just as he was going out the door about the irreconcilable contradiction that had been confronting him for months the thing that must be true yet couldn't be true after all the thing that gave me the privilege of being called his friend was my ability to understand and make allowances somehow or other he had had a bad quarter of an hour himself that morning perhaps in some queer way i couldn't guess at the discovery of his loss had brought up the old contradiction to stare him in the face had given him a moment of almost superstitious panic which now that a rational explanation had suggested itself as an alternative he didn't feel like acknowledging the existence of even to me i went over to him and laid a hand on his shoulder all right i said let's find it i'm sure i haven't anything better to do and if there turns out to be anything else you want to tell me about it later why you can tell it and be sure that i shall try to understand come let's get down to business what is your clue it's almost childishly simple said jeffrey i'm ashamed of myself that i didn't think of it the moment i discovered the loss instead of blowing up that way why you'll think of it yourself in a minute and here's your chance he added as a knock at the door interrupted us his jap was out somewhere, so Geoffrey answered it himself. "'How do you do, Mr. Peterson?' he said, and ushered the stranger in. Peterson was a clumsy-looking man of the skilled mechanic type, warmly and comfortably and properly dressed enough, but his clothes looking as if he were in the habit of getting down on his hands and knees, and carrying heavy objects around in his pockets. "'Mr. Peterson,' said Geoffrey, is the decorator who did over the building last fall then he astonished me by turning to peterson and saying i'm thinking of having a little more work done oh this is perfectly satisfactory and i wouldn't think of calling in the landlord it's on my own account entirely don't you think yourself drew 
he turned to me that the walls would compose into better-looking panels if we had a second frieze carried around there about a third of the way down i don't know anything about art or composition said i you certainly know that you will have to decide that for yourself it was too ridiculous here was jeffrey who had run away for a two months vacation because the decorators got on his nerves deliberately invoking them again when he got back naturally enough peterson favoured the project that's very well done said jeffrey the upper frieze it's very skilled work you know has to be done by hand then he turned back to peterson i'd want the same man to do it that did the other peterson shook his head i can't accommodate you there i'm afraid sir i had to turn that fellow off oh he was a good workman but rules are rules he came on the job drunk i suppose said jeffrey no said peterson he was steady enough why i don't mind telling you though it seems rather hard i turned him off because his wages were garnished by a loan office you can't get skilled work out of men with that on their minds i see said jeffrey but you think you could find me someone else just as good oh yes said peterson no trouble about that well said jeffrey i'll let you know call you up in the morning when i've made up my mind thank you very much for coming peterson had opened the door and was in the act of starting out jeffrey watching him absent-mindedly a frown on his face poor devil he said under his breath then suddenly struck with an idea he called out oh peterson give me that chap's address will you the one you discharged i'm supposed to belong to some sort of protective league for that loan shark business maybe we could do something to help him out peterson hesitated a minute then took a shabby notebook out of his pocket and read out the name and the address of the man he had discharged Geoffrey wrote it in charcoal on the back of a stretcher all right he said you'll hear from me in the morning Geoffrey shut the door and the next minute he was struggling into his overcoat come along said he where i asked he looked at me queerly why to look up the case of this lone shark victim of course no time like the present come along in another three minutes we were in a taxi Geoffrey's manners were always excellent but he had a way of letting you know when he didn't want to talk the address was way uptown on the east side and our taxi stopped at last in front of a dingy brick house one of a long row on a shabby cross-town street just as we were going to ring the bell the door opened and a man started out he eyed us with a quick little glance of morose surly suspicion oh mr sheen said jeffrey pleasantly glad we didn't miss you come back in here a minute i want to talk to you if we had asked him if his name was sheen i think he'd have denied it and gone on but there was a mixture of authority and confidence behind jeffrey's good-natured smile that was almost irresistible the man hesitated and having done that much seemed to find it impossible to do anything but obey Geoffrey's gesture and follow us into the badly lighted ill-smelling hall here Geoffrey stepped back and nodded to him to lead the way what do you want 
sheen demanded a chance to talk to you for a moment without interruption said geoffrey pleasantly the man grunted and led the way to a small room at the back of the house geoffrey the last one into it closed the door after him and nodded toward a chair sit down a minute he said he waited till sheen had obeyed him and i rather cautiously had followed suit i didn't like the man's looks altogether geoffrey leaned back comfortably against the top of a trunk we work at the same trade he said politely i'm a painter myself my name's arthur geoffrey and i've got a studio up on central park west the man started out of his chair and then let himself drop back into it well he said savagely what do you want oh it's nothing to get excited about said geoffrey i suppose you got twenty-five or thirty dollars for the frame you probably needed that more than i do but i need the picture that was in it more than you do so i want you to give it back to me sheen was on his feet by now and the blustering furtive terror in his face and in his voice when he spoke were confession enough to me that my friend's shot had rung the bell you're a liar said sheen a damned liar you don't know what you're talking about i'm talking said geoffrey about a picture of a girl in a white satin gown it was in my studio in a french hand-carved frame you were at work painting that frieze in my studio you know what that frame was worth and where you could sell it you knew i was off on a two months vacation and you absolutely had to have the money lord man i know what that means myself i never took that means of getting it but i can understand how a man would but you couldn't sell the picture that's preposterous and i want you to give it back to me sheen was staring at him fascinated there was a long silence finally he spoke through his locked teeth i didn't take any picture i swear to god i didn't take any picture the frame was empty when i saw it in there i did take the frame and i sold it i got eighteen dollars for it and i knew it was worth a hundred and twenty eighteen dollars to give to those damned leeches that are sucking all the blood out of me you can prosecute and be damned i wish you would but i didn't take any picture for a full minute i think it must have been geoffrey sat there on the trunk staring at him without a word in his eyes a look almost of panic then he rose and held out his hand to sheen thank you for telling me the truth about it he said oh yes i know it's true i'm sorry for you if you'll come up to my place and see me some day oh any time we'll talk things over and see what we can do oh and if you know where the frame is find out what i can buy it back for will you no i don't want any thanks good-bye in two minutes we were back in the taxi i wanted to ask him what had given him the clue for what seemed to me an uncannily lucky guess but his manner made it plain he didn't want to talk so i left his moody reverie undisturbed all the way back to the studio he sprang out when we arrived there with unconcealed haste and fretted over the slowness of the elevator as we were going up his jap heard us coming and was holding the door open for us togo said geoffrey did you take that portrait i left when i went away out of the frame 
togo nodded and smiled yes i took out put there he nodded toward a big unframed stretcher on the outside of the stack that was leaning against the wall that it he concluded geoffrey burst into a laugh well why the devil didn't you say so he demanded when i was making all that fuss this morning togo shook his head and lifted his eyebrows frame gone he said i not know geoffrey strode across the room and swung the big stretcher around then he made a queer noise in his throat there was no portrait there it was just a big gray blank canvas without a brushful of paint on it we looked through the others in the stack we looked at every canvas in the studio but the portrait of the girl in the white satin gown wasn't there End of chapter 2